Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Most of Australia is familiar with the characters who made up the real-life TV drama Underbelly. My next guest grew up with many of them. Most of them are now dead. Justin Gardner lived a life of crime, using and dealing drugs since the age of 12. At 22, he found himself plotting a murder. He was incredibly lost, even suicidal. He says there was only one place he could turn, to God. And today, he's the senior pastor at Destiny Centre Christian Church in Victoria. In his book, Crime Son, we hear about Justin's truly incredible story, another story of incredible transformation. Justin Gardner, welcome to Open House. Hi, how you going? Fine, thanks. Thanks very much for joining us, Justin. That's fine. What do you say makes someone head down such a path of what might be considered self-destruction? I think for me, it, um, it was probably, um, you know, different things that led to that. But at the end of the day, it's probably uh, the people that I, I hung around with. Um, you know, I had circumstances at home that weren't the best with my dad, but um, I did fall in with the wrong crowds um, all the time. And there's a real pressure of peer pressure in that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I had a lot of rage in me as a kid, a lot of anger. So I and I always hung out with older people and um and they were always up to no good. So I, I found myself probably a place where I could vent anger and get up to no good with those guys. It's probably a coping mechanism for me as a kid now I look back. When you reflect back on that anger where do you say it came from? Why did it emerge? Oh, in that, def- that definitely came from my father. He was very uh, violent, very uh, aggressive man and uh, a very hard man to please. He used to um, always put very heavy burdens on me that I pretty much could never meet. Um, and, uh, and I suppose because of that, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of anger in me as a kid that I didn't understand. There was no way of fighting back as a youngster, I suppose. No, not at all. It was always a feeling of helplessness. But at the same time, it was a mixed feeling because I really loved my dad. And um, so there was a side of uh, wanting to please him no matter what. So I could sort of put aside, almost put aside um, how he treated me and, and uh, how he was um, to still try and please him. Some of the people you mixed with ended up being portrayed in the Underbelly TV series. Yeah, that's right. Tell us about them. I grew up uh, with them and I used to always hang around the amusements and different things so I would uh, we always grew up together and I'd been I'd been involved in stealing cars since I've been probably 11 with older boys and uh, and uh, so some of those guys were into sort of petty petty crimes back then and a bit of drugs and different things um, but I suppose as they got older uh, the drugs increased and wherever there's drugs there's lies deception and fear and the rest is history and pretty much all those guys are dead now. Yeah I was going to say when you now look at what happened through not just the TV series but through their real life that's the path that you were heading on. I tried to sort of break away from um, you know where those sort of guys were going because uh, they increased heavier drugs where I probably one of the things that saved my life is I had a fear of syringes I had a fear of needles so when majority of my friends started using uh, speed and heroin um, yeah I I didn't so but I still was self-medicating and alcohol and smoking a lot of dope and things like that and it really messed with my mind Um, but yeah that's probably what saved my life in, in, in that part I would say. One interesting term you use to tell your story is being dream bankrupt. What do you mean by that? 
Uh, well, I got to the point where, you know, I'd, I, I'd had uh, no dreams left at all. I, I never had a dream to be married, to ever have children. Um, the hope of living just completely drained out of me. Uh, I was lying on a floor in a place called St Albans and everyone had left me um, and I had no one around me. I had gold chains, which, which meant you were somebody in that world and um, and uh, all the materialistic things meant nothing. It was like I could have had the best of everything, but all the joy, the pleasure was gone from it. So, I mean, I had no dreams whatsoever left. Was there no one to whom you could go to no, cry out for help? No, not at all. Not at all. No one. No one. I, I was tormented inside. I was vomiting and shaking every day um, for, uh, when I look back, it would have to be a month, month and a half, maybe more. And I, I went to doctors desperately. They gave me medication. I didn't know what they gave me. I was just desperate. And but what happened is it would numb the outside of my body, but um, inside was still like a rolled, uh, raging volcano. Suicidal thoughts would have been thousands of times a day. Wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating. And yeah, there was no one that could help me. So then you call out to God. But before yep. I ask you to tell me that part of the story, was he ever part of your past up until that time? Well, I was brought up in a, a Catholic family, so you know, one thing I've definitely learned is going to church uh, doesn't make you a Christian, just like uh, obviously going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. And uh, I, I was brought up in that, but I never chose Christ for myself. I learned about Christ as a Catholic, and I learned about God and that Jesus had died for me. But um, I suppose for me, uh, at a young age, I saw some hypocrisy in, in, in people that started um, sort of getting to me at a very young age. Um, uh, my father, how he was in church and then how he was at home. And, uh, or, for instance, I would go to the confessional booth uh, to get my sins forgiven, and I'd line up and I'd pick and choose my, my sins. And I remember knowing that um, I couldn't tell the priest that while other people were um, making deposits in the plate going past, I was making withdrawals. So I knew from that day that I, I still, that sin was stuck with me. And I suppose then I, I sort of gave up on God knowing that I've got this sin I can't confess to anyone. That was as a very young boy. And I've been thieving ever since my hands have been moving. I reckon if you asked my mum when I started stealing, she would have said before the womb, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward to the age of 22. That's when you call out to God. Tell me about what life was like for you then. I tried to clean my life up, I suppose. You know, uh, as people, I think we look at other people that are worse off or, or into worse things than us, and we might justify our actions of our life and think we're okay. And I started to try and work a normal job and bits and pieces, and, uh, you know, but um, I still was empty. I was still empty, and I'd just gone through a breakup with uh, a fiance, a girl that I was with um, since I've been a teenager, and in the end, even she gave up on me, and um, and I don't blame her. I was I was a mess. I was a, uh, a very um, just an angry person and very hard to please. I I ended up being exactly like my dad, really. Um, in in those ways, I just could not uh, be pleased by anybody. But Christians, the way it ended up um, was Christians used to come out in the streets and tell me about Jesus and tell me how I could be saved when I was young, a teenager. And my response to that was I would I would spit on them and say things about their mums to try and prove that what they were doing wasn't real and that they were fake. But they, they their message won me over in my heart. I never showed them that when I was suicidal years later, I knew that I could call out to Christ. And also the Christian sister that had been praying for me. So what happened then when you did that? Just before I'd end up on those floorboards um, ready to you know end my life, um, 
my mother had invited me to a church in Hoppers Crossing, which is about 20 minutes from where I was from. And uh, and I was desperate, and I went there. And the long story short, um, it was very hard for me to walk in there that night. I'd never seen that many people in one place. And uh, and I walked up and sat in the front row. I really wanted to sit in the back row, but I was that rebellious. I, uh, I sat in the front row, but I sat in reserved seating for the guest speaker. I didn't know, but the church people... Um, seemed to let me know just with their body language and I felt like eyes were burning into my back. Anyway, I I felt very rejected and left and an old man came outside and shook my hand and he apologised. He saw what happened. He said, I can sit anywhere. And uh, he he was a very genuine man. His apology, um, you know, touched my heart even though I didn't um, accept uh, it and go back in. But then flash forward to that night on the floor, um, I'm going to blow my brains out. And uh, I called out to Christ, asked him to come into my heart and save me. And I still remember I said, if you'll just save me and forgive my sins, anything you ask me to do, I'll do it for you. I don't want any of this materialistic stuff anymore. I just want you. And then uh, I felt hope come into my heart right there. Um, my suicidal thoughts were still there, but hope had come in, and I knew I was right with God. So it was late at night, maybe 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I, I thought the first thing I need to do is ring a church. Well, the first church that came to mind was the one that just scarred me and rejected me. So childlike faith, I, I rang that number that late and the, the the phone answered. And that old man was the caretaker of the church that um, shook my hand uh, and apologized. And uh, he prayed for me on the phone, set up for me to see a pastor the next day. And long story short, um, I'm the senior pastor of that church 16 years later. <laughs> It's a remarkable story, and what a beautiful moment that, A, at that time, that phone was answered by anyone, and B, that that was the guy. Yeah, it's miraculous, absolutely miraculous. Did your life take a sudden turn then? Absolutely. I I meant what I prayed to Jesus, and uh, but it was very hard because I'd just lived such a dishonest life my whole life. Now I'm having to learn to be honest. So what I had to do is I had to move away from the culture that I'd grown up in and the temptation. So I, I did that. And uh, that's a scary thing because even though you're, it's right, you know it's right, you're moving to something you don't know. And the unknown is pretty scary for people, but I did that. And I moved away and I moved to Hoppers Crossing and um, where I'm a pastor in, uh, of the church now. And um, my mum took me back in and I start, uh, started to um, have my relationship restored with my mum. And I was a broken, broken young man and I was like a baby again. I, I couldn't read properly or anything like that. And my mum would give me my little sister's picture Bible and I'd be in, in bed at night and she'd be praying for me like a child. Like it was like, my childhood that I was robbed of was starting to be restored and I'd read the picture Bible and see the pictures of Jesus and get the stories like that and then I started to renew my own mind and I started to just have the Bible on tape and then I started uh, getting some healing in the mind and I started to be able to read properly and retain what I was reading and I probably listened to between 6 and 13 sermons a week and read about 3 or so books for about 11 and a half, 12 years straight. I love stories like yours. On Open House, we're with Justin Gardner. As he said, he's the senior pastor of the Destiny Christian Church in Victoria. He's written about his uh, wonderful story in Crime Son. So take us through the journey that then leads you to becoming a senior pastor of a church. Yeah, well, that's a bit of a shock because I, I'm, I've been going, every time a service is on, I'm there because I, I still look the same. I look like a drug dealer. I'm, I'm covered in gold chains. I wear a, a cap and, and sunglasses in church from start to finish. I don't really even want to talk to people. 
not that I don't want to know people. I'm just not there for them. I'm there for God, and uh, and I'm crying every service. And uh, and I remember I, I used to be so embarrassed, and week after week, crying every service. And I remember going home saying to God, you know, why why can't I stop crying? And uh, and I felt God say to me that you'll never cry the same tears twice because I'm healing you from all the pain you've been stored up over all those years. And if I healed you in one go, you wouldn't live through it. So it was it was weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe months of crying. And then I started serving in church and started um, stirring coffees, uh, another form of drug dealing, really. (laughs) (laughs) So I I was stirring coffees, and um, and I was thinking to myself, my mind's renewed. Six months after Christian, my suicidal thoughts were stopped completely, never had them again. And um, and I'm stirring coffees thinking this is the best place I've ever been in my life, and I'd be happy to do this for Christ for the rest of my life. And uh, and I still feel that way today, to tell the truth. If he was to call me back and stir coffees, um, I'd do it with my whole heart, just as happy as what I'm doing now for him. But it's still quite a journey to go through the study and the application to to being a leader in that church from stirring coffees? Well, what happened was I started seeing that even in church culture, there seemed to be maybe sort of uh, groups started to gather after church. And I used to see sort of people that some people were included in those. And uh, so um, I started sort of reaching out to people that no one maybe reached out to. And I started reaching out to people in halfway houses and schizophrenics and people battling with alcohol and drugs and I started bringing them to church and just filling my car I thought anything I've got for God I'll use it for others and a senior pastor started seeing that and he started and I remember he gave me a key one day to the church and he said to me anytime you want to come and open the church and use an office to pray for someone or help someone here it is and I can't remember ever anyone trusting me something inside me um, something inside me warmed that he would trust me to the care of the church. And um, and that's sort of how it happened. I just started caring for people and bringing people. And before I know it, God told me to go to Bible college. And uh, and I, I, I didn't know to study or anything, but I, I remembered uh, the words, a reminder, a reminder of the words that I'll do anything you ask me to do. So I went to Bible college just hoping for a pass. And I did pass, and I made it through. And um, yeah, and the door started open. I was in full-time ministry within three years of being saved, just after three years. Stunning stuff. And it just seems like door after door after door is opening for you. It's still the same today. It, it, hasn't, it hasn't changed. One thing that I've always prayed for is, is for divine appointments, um, that God would open doors for me um, to connect with others that he wants me to connect with purely for them, not for me. And I think when you have a heart to pray that way, that whoever God aligns you with, that you won't take advantage of that for you. It's purely for them that that they can um, be touched or blessed or have a need met in his name. I think uh, you'll find that doors opened um, quicker than um, anything in your life. And you still have that passion for people on those dark streets of Melbourne. Well, I've got a passion for anyone. I, I get to minister to millionaires and murderers and homeless people and intellectuals and everybody. Uh, I'm never, uh, I'm not saying I don't uh, fear, I'm still a human being, but I always know this that everyone I meet is fighting something. Everyone. So I feel sort of equal with them because I'm fighting my own stuff too. And without Christ, I'm in big strife. So I, I always feel like we're, we're the same and, and I'm looking to meet a need in them, encourage them, even give them a laugh. And, you know, the Bible talks about that's like medicine if you can give someone a laugh. Um, I'm looking for a, meet, a need to meet, meet in their lives. So, um, and, and the world's full of needs. We live in a fatherless generation and, and I've got a father's heart. And so, yeah, I, I have a heart for everyone now. And, um, yeah, that's the way it is. Old, young, old, dear. 
there are lots of spectators to the Christian faith who listen to Open House, which I'm so pleased about. Justin, what would you say to them? What form of words would you use to describe how powerful Jesus has been in your life? I've never, I've never made a greater love. Um, I never knew that someone could love me more than I love me. I never knew that someone could give me undeserved grace and uh, and mercy and uh, give me a second and a third and and, and endless chances. And uh, that he doesn't change his mind about me. Um, it's incredible to know that. So that's the best way I can describe it. Someone that will never leave me, um, no matter what. Um, and it's not performance based. He's already made up his mind about me. He loves me, and he loves them too. He's only made one of them. Everyone has the same uh, different fingerprints. I was in a jail ministering to women recently, and I said to them, you know, this isn't the end of your story. This is only a, a part of it, and this doesn't define you. And no matter if you've got a criminal record, that, that's just a label. That's not who you are. I said, Christ has given each and every one of you uh, fingerprints. He's uh, fashioned you, and no one's got the same fingerprints as you. And I said, you got, uh, you know, the government's got records to prove it. So yeah, everyone's an original. He, he, he loves everyone. He's only got one of them, and he's not making another one of them and for you and for so many who listen tonight it's very real it can be raw and infinitely beyond just the theoretical or the theological or the religious oh absolutely absolutely i i had a personal relationship with christ before i um really knew um you know the depths of of uh, his love uh, that was written in scripture of how he healed the poor and how he touched the the lepers and healed them and uh, ex- included them in his life in a, an era where people weren't supposed to touch them or go near them publicly before i saw the depths of his compassion being moved when he'd look over the multitudes of people without a shepherd or someone to love them or help them or protect them um i knew um, him personally, his love for me personally, before I even read the Bible. So he's a real, he's a real God, and he's a, he was a real man, 100% man, 100% God that walked this earth, and he's still very real now, and he's still very much alive and seated in heaven. And um, the Bible clearly says that uh, he lives to intercede, which means to pray for people. I think it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And I, I picture this, how does Jesus pray? Well, he turns to the Father and he talks to the Father about you and me. And I think that's pretty incredible. I think the best way to finish our wonderful conversation, Justin, is to ask you about your family. Oh, my family, that's just incredible. I've got two boys and a beautiful wife. And, and with my wife, my... Um, Everything that I've got good has come through Christ. It's just come through relationship with him. Um, my sister, who was a Christian, who had been praying for me for years, she was in a different church, and uh, her prayer partner that um, she would meet with and pray for me, um, that is now my mother-in-law. Her daughter, were, she was praying for her daughter. My sister was praying for me. And um, my wife, I met her in this church, which is a different church. We'd never met each other, never met um, her mum. And we met each other, and then it all clicked. Your mum had prayed for me. Your grandmother had prayed for me. And today I've got two sons, and, and my wife is just my best friend. It's incredible. Tell us about those two sons, Davis and Oscar. Oh, Davis, oh, he's just the most... I learned, I've learned a lot about God through my sons. Because no matter if they play up in the day, don't clean their rooms and do the things they're supposed to do, when I look over them at night and I see them just breathing, I, I feel nothing but love towards them. And and I know I'm just an earthly father. And if I can feel that way towards my sons, I, it's, I, I can't even really grasp how amazing it is how he feels towards us. So my sons are my everything. Um, 
They teach me about God. They keep me humble. Um, they're very soft and kind boys. And uh, and when Davis was born, I still remember when he was born and the first time I saw him, um, I felt God say to me, this would have been one of the things you would have missed out on if you killed yourself all those years ago. So, yeah, they're, they're good. They're good. They pray for me all the time before I minister, and they're just champion kids. Justin, I've loved speaking with you. I'm sure everyone around Australia and beyond has loved hearing your amazing story tonight. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. We'll put the details of Crime Sun up on our Open House Community Facebook page. Thank you so much. Well, great. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.